Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Driving Force podcast. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned endurance athlete. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is my friend and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor, Kevin Landry. Kevin has over 25 years experience in Jiu-Jitsu, is a third degree black belt, and is the highest ranked Jiu-Jitsu black belt in the state of New Hampshire. He first started training Jiu-Jitsu back in 1995, when the art was still relatively unknown in the U.S., and his love for the art led him to travel to New York in order to train under Master Henzo Gracie of the famous Gracie family. Fast forward to, d- to today, Kevin runs and teaches at two successful jiu-jitsu academies in New Hampshire, has compiled a 15 inter- International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation gold medals, and has coached numerous successful MMA and jiu-jitsu competitors. Not to mention, jiu-jitsu literally saved his life from a severe case of flesh-eating bacteria 12 years ago. In this interview, I discuss with Kevin the history of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how it's different from other martial arts, how he got involved in it, his journey to becoming a teacher and school owner, and his thoughts on how to best develop good Jiu-Jitsu. And so, without further ado, my interview with Kevin Landry. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, this is great. Um, so, what have you got lined up for training tonight? Training tonight, I have a couple kids' classes first. Up in Exeter, we had a good noontime class here in Wyndham, and then uh, we have a fundamental class at 6:10, followed with a BJJ uh, adult class at 7. So that's where I'll get to do a lot of my training after I do the teaching. Is in the 7 o'clock class, and then open mat at 8. It's awesome. It's pretty much just like all jujitsu, all day, every day for you. <laughs> all day, every day. Yeah. We started at 6.30 this morning, and we'll end tonight about 8.30. That's awesome. Um, any specific like techniques that you'll be teaching tonight or working Ton- on with, with your students? Tonight is a follow-up from last week. Uh, last week we did passing the guard as they passed, being able to defend and escape cross-side or from the bottom, and retain guard, get back to guard, or taking the back. Tonight we'll be working off the same type of positions, but working sweeps and submissions as we get to the back or we escape uh, the bottom cross side. Awesome. I miss working all those techniques. <laughs> um, so before we get into your history with jiu-jitsu um, and what brought you to the sport, I think it would be helpful if we give the people listening an overview of just jiu-jitsu in general. Um, some people who are listening might not know exactly what it is and kind of what's involved. Um, so for someone who doesn't know anything about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how would you describe it to them? Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. <laughs> I did karate as a kid. Uh, nothing against karate. It's a different sport. I tell people all the time it's still very good for discipline. It's maybe not as action-packed <clears throat> as uh, Jiu-Jitsu. But ultimately, I tell people to come in and try it. Have an open mind. If you're looking for a complete body workout, get sweaty, meet a bunch of new friends, uh, and and learn a, a crafty, challenging sport and have fun as you do it, it's perfect. Um, it's all about leverage. It doesn't take size or strength. It's not about the the strong guy or the tough guy. It's great to see... You know, a person come in with no confidence and help them build their confidence. It's great mm-hmm. to see a smaller individual come in and teach them uh, how to defeat a larger person. Or when you see them sweep that larger person for the first time, how excited they get. Yeah. Uh, and two, we, we have a lot of families here that do it together. It's one of the only sports you can do where your parents can train with the kids uh, and have a family activity at the same time. Mm-hmm. How does it differ from, like, wrestling and judo? So judo is very good. You start a lot on your feet, and you look for the throw, and essentially you look for a quick pin. So if you're looking for, like, that action, that quick excitement, there's nothing better than a quick judo throw. Mm. Uh, Wrestling is good for the takedowns. They shoot. They do a lot of shooting, and they also look for a pin. Uh, With jiu-jitsu, 
it could be as effective standing and more effective on the ground, top or bottom. So if you're on your back or if you're top uh, of your opponent or competitor, you have a lot more options for submissions. You're not looking for a pin. So mm-hmm. whether you're dealing with the lower part of the body, the upper part of the body, the neck or the arms, you can get a submission. Two, it's a little bit more gentle. Instead of getting taken down and falling hard to the ground, you're essentially working a lot more on the ground uh, where you don't get that quick throw or yeah. you know a brunt uh, takedown, which is great if you're an older, you know, you're older, you're, you know, latter 30s or 40s or even 50s. You can come in and train and get an unbelievable workout without worrying about getting injured. Judo takes a lot, uh, a lot of practice, and it takes a, a complete repeat of, you know, getting thrown to the ground. So it takes its yeah. toll on the body quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, with Jiu-Jitsu too, um, as opposed to wrestling, you can ha- almost be in an advantageous position when you're on your back in Jiu-Jitsu, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, Wrestling's great when they do the shots, and if you learn to... Uh, you know, so many more positions you can finish uh, or defend yourself compared to just almost holding somebody down mm-hmm. with the wrestling. Yeah. Um, and BJJ, Wrestling Jiu-Jitsu, actually has a service in Japan, right? Correct. Yeah. Started from Japan. The Gracies went over and trained Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, took the, the Jiu-Jitsu from the Japanese and formulated it, added some flavor to it or different techniques yeah. and perfected it. You know, all the brothers got together and just continued to drill and train and put their own twist on it, which, you know, then brought it to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm. which was their form of elevating this sport or gotcha. the art. Yeah. And how influential are the Gracie family in, um, <clears throat> in popularizing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? They're, it's huge, right? It's huge. Yeah. They they brought it to the United States. They brought it worldwide. Uh, did an un, unbelievable way of marketing it. They invented the UFC. UFC back then wasn't about time limits. wasn't about the rounds. It was about watching the smaller guy defend himself. At the time, being Hoist Gracie, defend himself. No time limit. No rules. Wear down his opponent and then finish him. Mm-hmm. And he did an amazing job with that, uh, UFC 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and then from there, the popularity started to grow. Uh, today, of course, as the sport grows out, different people take what they learn from their masters or professors, and then they branch out. Mm-hmm. You know, So a lot of these people that have jiu-jitsu or Brazilian jiu-jitsu ultimately learned it from the roots of the Gracies. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of history for sure. Um, and you've been teaching for many, many years now. Um, but when did jiu-jitsu start for you? Jiu-jitsu started October of 95, way back when, maybe before you were born. I was born, but very, I was <laughs> one year old. One, not even one, yeah. Um, I watched UFC 1, and I was intrigued how this skinnier little guy was beating these much larger in-shape opponents. And really not taking any damage or using or exerting a lot of energy to do it. And as he was doing this amazing art, his opponents were just getting beat and exhausted and breathing heavy. And it just really intrigued me. Um, And it was just something that I I set out to learn or to discover Mm -hmm. uh, at that moment. I was just totally intrigued by it. And jiu-jitsu at that time really wasn't that popular as it is today. Like in print, like not even close, right? Not even close. Um, teaching began for me. <clears throat> I did a seminar with Health Gracie. It was my very first seminar. And then I started to train in Derry. And the downside was, is that was the only school I could find anywhere in the area. And even his school closed a couple times because the student... Retention was very difficult. You know, a big class might have been six six people. Wow. And that was because he only offered it a couple of days a week. Then, <clears throat> as the schools closed, I just couldn't find anywhere. And everywhere I went, they're like, wow, you're, you're good. Can you teach? Can you teach? And I'm like, no, I'm here to be taught. Um, and then that's when I started to train and, and drive to New York and train with Henzo and 
mm-hmm. the Gracie family and really it changed my life for the better. That's awesome. So did you try out any other martial arts? Just karate when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really got, when I was training in Derry, it was quickly jujitsu. He did do a lot of Kempo karate and then we did a lot of MMA training. Uh, it was new. We had no gloves. There was no mouthpieces. Uh, but we had a fair amount of people on a weekly basis come in and want to prove that jujitsu wasn't what it was setting out to ha- you know, be. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, oh no, I, I believe I can take you down. I believe I can knock you out. And um, back then, it made us tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How were um, the the classes, I guess, structured back or, or taught and structured back then? Like, were they, was it pretty different than it is now? or Similar. The difference is the amount of technique and chaining the techniques together. At the time, my instructor was only a white belt. He achieved his blue belt from health uh, in Caesar Gracie. But at that time, he only had maybe a dozen techniques to teach. He didn't have a lot that he could teach. Uh, two, it's evolved so much that just the details in the techniques has multiplied so much since then. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd go to a basic class, you'd drill a couple techniques, and then you would do live training, uh, positional training. And the goal was to try to implement those techniques that you learned that night. And at the time, it was basic, basic arm bar, basic choke, simple sweep, mm-hmm. take the back and choke. Uh, it was very limited movement. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing that uh, through my you know a couple of two three years of training jujitsu, um, that was just astonishing to me how a simple movement of your grip an inch left or right can make all the difference in the world in terms of finishing someone with a submission. It's uh, that's the funnest part. You know, a lot of my students say it's like black magic. They're like, that's so simple, that's dumb. Uh, I have one student, she's a very technical blue belt, Natasha, and she just all the time, you know, she's a much smaller female, 5'2", 120 pounds, <clears throat> and I'll show her a move that'll help her with her mechanics or her body style, her size, and she'll be like, that's stupid, that's stupid. <laughs> it's so simple, she really overlooks it, and it's just a matter of moving, maybe the alignment of her body or looking in the direction of a sweep or changing the grip, cupping the elbow versus cupping the bicep, you know, turning the palm versus grabbing the wrist. Simple details can change the mechanics of a move tremendously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it can also make your partner weaker or stronger. Yeah, right. So it becomes very amazing and that's one of the rewards when you see a much smaller person go out and grapple with somebody and She'll take somebody two, three hundred pounds, and all of a sudden she's sweeping them. And she'll mount, but her knees don't touch the ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, because she's so much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reward of seeing that is so tremendous. Yeah. It's great. It's great, yeah. When did you make the decision that you wanted to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a way to make a living? <clears throat> that was a tough decision for me. Um, Henzo was always pushing me to teach... Uh, and open my own school. You would always praise me and say, you're really good, go open your own school. Um, I taught inside of another school uh, locally for about 14 years, and I was always concerned. I owned another business at the time, and I was very concerned that I was going to wreck my hobby, the addiction and love that I had for jiu-jitsu. I didn't want to turn it into a business in fear of wrecking what I loved so much. Yeah. Um, and I had so much support and it was actually my girlfriend at the time after I sold my other business she's like you're too good to work for other people you need to go do this full time and I made the plunge it's a little over five years ago to open my academy full time okay. and at the time I strived I said if I'm going to do this I'm not just going to have nighttime classes I want morning noontime and nighttime classes and my ultimate goal is to have a, basically a 20-hour-a-day academy. From 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., people can come in anytime during the day and train. Mm-hmm. So a little over five years ago, 
now I look back and say it was the most amazing thing I ever did. Yeah. Not only did, you know, was my fear wrong of wrecking my passion, but it really gave me a whole nother level of love for the sport and it opened the door to so many other avenues and so many wonderful other teammates and students that I call friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned there that uh, you sold a business that you had before. You kind of took the plunge. Uh, were, so were you ever on a different career path? Um, I was. I had a very large landscape construction business uh, in peak season. We had over 100 employees. Wow. Uh, and I thought that was my life. And I would leave every day from work and I'd rush to jujitsu and I would teach jujitsu every night at seven and eight o'clock. Um, and everybody was like, how do you do it? How do you do it? To me, it was just routine. It mm-hmm. was great. But after I sold the business, I did work for a couple other companies um, for a while to try to find you know, something in a similar mm-hmm. career. But jujitsu was always in the you know forefront of my mind, and I couldn't stop thinking about it all day long. Yeah, right. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in, in um, opening your first like full time school and academy? Biggest fear is can I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, can I get enough students to sustain a school? Uh, what is my ultimate goal? What were, what was I striving for? What could I do that would stand out amongst other people? How would I be able to teach and still train to compete or train my students? Uh, different goals like that. When I first found my first commercial space, I was like horrified looking at the $2,200 rent <laughs> and being like, wow, I have to open these doors and hope they come. Um, so that was probably the biggest fear. Yeah. You know? Um, and it was a hard it was a hard decision and a big goal. Mm-hmm. And was your first school uh, here in Wyndham or Salem, or was it in Exeter? It was Exeter. Okay. It was Exeter. Um, I was working, actually, when I opened Exeter, I still had the landscape business. <clears throat> Found the location. The first location was... Just an older building, horrible insulation. We were only there for about a year before we realized the winters were way too cold. We could never heat it up, and the summers were just way too hot. We couldn't cool it down. Um, So that's when we found our second location, right after I sold the business. And uh, we were originally 1,500 square feet, and now Exeter is 3,500 square feet. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote... I've been there since when it was 1,500 to, to now. Um, there's so much more space. <laughs> That's it's great. Uh, it was great. One of the biggest attributes I have or the goals is I did all the construction myself. I was able to build the school. And I wanted to build the school that right when you walked in, it would look professional. First, first image was everything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the goal. Did you open your second location pretty soon after the first one? So we had Exeter for about seven years. I was still teaching in Derry at another academy. And then after he achieved his black belt, I awarded him his black belt. Uh, It was shortly a couple of years later that he just said to me, hey, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't really need you anymore. Go to Exeter. And at the time I had maybe 30 students that I was training there. And that's when I found my second location in Salem, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And same thing. It was very nerve-wracking to go up another location, have a second rent, not know what was going to happen. So then I opened up Salem, um, and we outgrew that space in about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to the other end of the building. Uh, that was 3,500 square feet, and we quickly outgrew that space, mainly the parking. The parking was just a nightmare during class yeah. shuffles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was about seven years later. Okay. And at that point, I was full-time, bouncing back and forth from both academies, which I still do today, uh, to teach classes. Mm-hmm. 
And you also offer programs other than jujitsu, right? Like circuit training and like MMA. We do. We have the MMA program. We have a kickboxing Thai program. Uh, we have a circuit center out back that's ultimately where we teach our kickboxing. But we welcome people at any time during the day that can come in and set the timer and do ultimate workouts. Or we have pre-done workouts that they can do. The main focus, 90%, here is the jujitsu. MMA has certainly grown a lot. Uh, and our MMA program is it's a professional MMA program where we offer... More of, you know, if a female comes in, she can get a higher level of self-defense without feeling like a 20-year-old is going to bash her in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet there's professionals in that class that train to professionally fight. Mm-hmm. But everybody's a teammate. Yeah. What, what, why did you decide to offer those programs? Was there a growing demand for uh, that sort of stuff? Growing demand, but I think the MMA was always in my blood. I always enjoyed the additional workout. Uh, the training behind it. My jiu-jitsu coming from Henzo was very heavy control orientated. Um, defend, control, finish. And that was always my roots. Never sporty and birding or, you know, elevating jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Very heavy control. Mm-hmm. Which goes very good with MMA. So when you have good control, uh, punching somebody in the face is really easy. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was an exciting aspect of the sport, or ultimately, if you could say, just an offshoot of the sport. Mm-hmm. And it's really how jiu-jitsu was introduced in the U.S. Right. So it was nice to offer that uh, to my top student. His ultimate goal is to be a high-level professional fighter. So we built the space, 2,500 square feet of MMA, so that he had a great training center. And that's Nick Fury? Nick Fury. Shout out to Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah, un- unbelievable jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is amazing. Every day he's getting better and better. Mm. He used to be a handful. Now he's two handfuls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so does the work involved in the business side of the job like sometimes take away from your passion for the training and the coaching? It doesn't take away my passion but it does make me mentally tired. If I spend two hours in the office doing paperwork, rather it's files, bookkeeping, you know, whatever it may be, your mind goes in the business towards paperwork aspect or the office management part of it, mm-hmm. where when I'm coaching or teaching, my mind is solely convinced on the, you know, focused on the jujitsu aspect of the coaching or the teaching. And really shuts me off from the world around me. Yeah. It just consumes me. It, it, it infects me. And when I start teaching and a student starts doing the move and they get excited, like I want to teach them more and show them more and get down there and train with them. And mm-hmm. that's the exciting part. But if I spend too much time in the office, it just makes my head lazy. <laughs> I'm more to be on the mats. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, on to teaching. What's, what's kind of your general philosophy? around it on teaching uh, jiu-jitsu? The main focus, and as I always explain to a student, defend, control, finish. And if I have a brand new student, it's to have an open mind. Uh, Open mind, a student, brand new the other day, she says, I don't feel like I can train with these students, I'm holding them back. I said, no, you're helping them learn. And I... As I show a move, and they say, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, your only goal today is to be better than yesterday. Whether that's fitness, doing the submission better, just remembering the submission, no matter what it is, be better today than you were yesterday. That's your goal. So when they come to me and say, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm like, think about what we did in class. We warm up the class with fundamental drills or a fundamental drill of what we taught last week so that it retains freshness. It's always in the forefront of the mind. Then we'll go into a variation off of that so that they stay connected. And the ultimate goal is as people are drilling, we just go around and correct little details or simple movements. Um, And we tell them, just keep implementing it. Implement, implement, implement. It's going to come. You'll get better and better. Mm -hmm. No different than when we all first learned to 
to walk. We had to crawl. Then we stood up and balanced. And then we might have walked to the table and mm-hmm. might have fallen a couple of times. Um, you know, one of the, my favorite quotes that Henzo said, the difference between a master and a beginner, is the master tapped a lot more. <laughs> so he's got more experience tapping. Um, so defend, control, finish. Don't try to finish if you don't have control. Don't try to, you know, uh, control something if you are in the middle of defending it. You know, if you have nothing mm-hmm. to defend, gain your control, then finish your movement. Yeah. And how is one of your classes typically structured? We come in, we have ultimately our classes. Our fundamental class is about 50 minutes. And we'll start with the basic warm-up. Then we'll go into various, normally, a set of techniques off of that warm-up. We'll show the technique, we'll demonstrate it three times, and then multiple instructors will walk around and correct. We ultimately have the students drill it anywhere from two to four minutes each before we call payback, or the other teammate will drill. And then we'll go into the next set of techniques, and after the two or three sets of techniques, we'll go into positional training. And the goal will be to try to implement those moves during a live session. And and live session for uh, people don't who don't know is, uh, I guess, live rolling or kind of jujitsu fights. I guess matches. Correct matches. Say. Yeah, it's ultimately like res- wrestling, trying to implement the submissions or the sweeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week we we're talking about taking the back, learning, teaching people to go from the ground or from their back to their opponent's back. And so the live positional training was, okay, the person on top is trying to pass, get through the legs or pass the guard. The person on the bottom, your goal is to sweep or get the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people stand up, we reset them. If they try to armbar or choke, nope, here's your goal. Uh, and, you know, I learned a lot of that from like Roger Gracie, what we call positional training. You have to master the positional training, the basics, if you expect to get to that elite level or mm-hmm. to be good. Not just clap hands, not know what you're doing, and grip, grab, and pull on your opponent. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, the worst position to be in or find yourself in jiu-jitsu is someone on your back. Is that would you, would you agree with that? I would agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. On the back with you face down on the, on the floor of the mat. <laughs> yeah. Very dangerous spot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. If um if someone really wants to maximize their jujitsu progress, how much time should they spend drilling technique versus live rolling? I would say seventy percent, you know, ultimately come in, learn technique, ten to twenty percent of the time, live drilling and training at least sixty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And then live training no more than 10 or 20% of the time. Um, you want to try to balance it out, but ultimately you instill the habits you've, you know, you learn. Um, during what we call fight or flight, in a moment of a match or in a moment of self-defense, your brain is going to put you where you're most comfortable. You're going to do where you're most comfortable doing. And if you're most comfortable making, you know, if you just come in and train, everybody likes to train. They want to try to win. They want to get the upper hand. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the more you train, if you don't know how to train or you don't know the steps in between the ultimate goal of start to finish, you develop bad habits. Then those bad habits will end up haunting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's harder to fix them. So when you do a lot of drilling and you're refreshing the move over and over and over, it makes you, one, mind memory, remembering how to do it, then two, muscle memory. And then it becomes more fluent and natural. I try to compare it to people talking, walking, or breathing. You had to teach yourself how to walk. Now, you know, if you go for a walk, you're really just thinking about where am I going? Mm -hmm. You don't have to tell yourself how to walk. If you have a talk, you just... Open your mouth and words come out. You're not trying to sound out the words anymore. You know, yeah. you've already learned how to do that. You certainly don't have to remind yourself all day long to breathe. Ultimately, the more you drill jujitsu, the same, uh, same will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and there's BJJ, Jiu-Jitsu, Matt etiquette, similar to Karate Dojo etiquette, right? Yes, like most definitely. Some, like, sins of Jiu-Jitsu. Um, you know, ultimately, I always say tap. Don't be afraid to tap. Every time you tap, you learn. Mm-hmm. Don't, like, oh, I'm double-jointed. I can resist this on lock. Um, you may be tougher, but it's still going to hyperextend your arm. You don't want to hyperextend your arm. Um, etiquette, clean geese, clean your uniform. This is a very sweaty sport. Clean shower, clean the uniform. Uh, you know, the mats. You want to make sure the mats are clean. You know, we have computerized machines or Zambonis that we do ours with daily. Uh, that's just the ultimate. You know, my faces are on those mats. Three-year-olds' faces, parents. I want to make sure they're clean. Mm. Um, we don't allow any swearing or clicks in the academy. Swearing pushes away the families. It gives a different level of demeanor. We're not looking to have that construction zone. We're looking to have the professional office. What you know, if you look at Class A office space, you know you have the accountants and the doctors. That's the highest level of the professionalism out there in the the work world. Mm-hmm. We want to maintain that professional level of jujitsu, mm-hmm. and swearing is not allowed on the mats. Dirty gi is not allowed on the mats. The crazy entire of tap, snap, break your arm, you know, shut up or you know, get knocked out or choked out. None of that entire is is allowed. It just sets a, va- a bad vibe. What about big egos? Big egos have to be checked at the door. <laughs> um, Henzo made a big speech one time, and I try to say to students all the time, you can learn from everybody. And people doubt we had a person used to come and train with us from another state. And when they would come, they would, oh, I only want to roll with the higher belts. I need to roll with these black and brown belts. I don't have black and brown belts in my school. So you have the wrong demeanor. Your goal is to ask the brown and black belts questions but ultimately, if they're training with you, they're always going to be ahead of you. So you can learn. But the ultimate goal is to go train with the white and the blue belts and implement your game and style. Grab two or three of them. Nope, it's a waste of my time. I'm like, you're never going to learn jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So we've thrown people out of the academy. Egos are just not meant to be for the mats. There's plenty of gyms out there that... Or egotistic filled, it's no problem. There is certain places for those, but not here. Uh, when people have egos, you know, you're just not going to learn. You have a roadblock of learning because you already think you're the best. Um, if you think you can't learn from a lower belt, you're never going to advance because you think you're better than them. I tell people all the time, I'm the highest ranked black belt in this academy. Maybe the most advanced. I got there from all of my students wasn't that Henzo or, you know, Igor Gracie or Holus Gracie or one of the Gracies came here every day and pushed me and beat me up and trained me. I would go to them. I would perfect my technique. I would get the next level of details. But it was my students that got me there because I never had the ego. I had the open mind. I didn't mind them putting me in submission so I could work getting out or learn the escapes or learn the details for the finishes. That's how I learned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, ego is just... It's not good. If we can bump fists and we're both happy and relaxed with each other, learning's easy. If you get partnered up with me and you're like, oh, this guy's going to hurt me, or he's out for the win, chances are you are going to get hurt because you're already tense and nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I think with, um, you know, egos, big, or at least people with big egos won't really last in, in jiu-jitsu schools anyway because tapping out is, you're a, it's pride. Yeah. You're always going to get tapped no matter what, and that's going to be a hit to your ego or anyone's ego. But um, just kind of have to, uh, I guess, deal with it or enjoy it. <laughs> it's uh, You have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to learn from everybody. A 17-year-old student taught me a detail to a move that I didn't realize I was teaching. You know, I was doing the move naturally because of my level. He was having a hard time. We drilled it, reviewed it together, and just yesterday he's like, oh, okay, you're swinging your leg out. That's how you're getting the, the back so easy. I had to stop the class, praise him for teaching me that detail that I didn't realize I was doing, and pass it along because other people were having issues. 
Instead of just looking at him as, you're a kid. No, he helped me understand how I was doing the move. Yeah. Would you say that there are body types that are more suited to jujitsu than others? Yes. Uh, jujitsu is very leverage orientated. So when you have a longer body, you're able to create more leverage. Um, smaller bodies are able to move more efficiently around bigger opponents. Um, it's just less mass to move, mm. and they can get in smaller areas. Um, so definitely, you know, longer, taller bodies cre- can create more leverage. Um, smaller bodies can fit or, or, or move around smaller areas. Mm. Yeah, and that being said, um, jiu-jitsu, I would think, is definitely a sport for everyone, regardless of your, your body type. The best thing you can do is if you want to get good at jiu-jitsu, train with all body types. Because a move may work, you know, a larger guy may be able to sweep a smaller person. But then you go to a person your size, you might have to tweak the details a little. Go to a much larger person, you might have to tweak the details a little bit more. Same thing. Train with that wrestler. Train with the jiu-jitsu practitioner. Train with the judo uh, practitioner. Because each detail to each technique will differ just a little bit. And the more you broaden your horizon with training partners, the more proficient you'll get. Right, yeah. Um, how much do physical attributes like strength <clears throat> like strength and speed play a role in developing good jiu-jitsu? Uh, I, I don't think it's really super important. Honestly, uh, athletic people may be able to do moves quicker or more efficiently but they'll miss a lot of the details because they are athletic. So if somebody's super agile, they may be able to pass the guard really fast. Um, and that's great up to a certain level. But when you get higher level brown belts or black belts or even a really good purple belt, they're going to expose those. So it may work at an early uh, early stage in the game, uh, but it could also hurt them later in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, strength, same thing. Uh, once somebody becomes proficient at jiu-jitsu, they don't stop the strength or match the strength. They go around it. Uh, once you learn that, uh, strength is not an issue. I was never a strong guy. I was never an athletic guy. All of my jiu-jitsu became very technical. Um, somebody that's real muscular takes a lot of oxygen to feed that. So if you have a longer match, they get worn down quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lightweight lifting... To maintain a healthier, you know, body, excellent. Too much weightlifting uh, may fatigue you more. And once again, when you grip that gi, you may be developing bad habits. Um, constant weightlifters, people that go to the gym a lot, it hurts their jujitsu. At the gym, you have to stabilize your body, move the weight. Jujitsu, you stabilize your opponent, move yourself. So it's complete opposite of what you do at the gym. So a lot of weightlifters I see having a hard time mm-hmm. getting proficient at jiu-jitsu, especially the ones that go right to the gym and they come right to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It takes them longer to reverse what they're used to doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're probably more, um, more I guess, rigid too, I would, I would imagine, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more rigid and, and stronger grips. Mm-hmm. How important is flexibility in jiu-jitsu? Depends on your style. Uh, people would say I'm flexible I cannot put my head to my knees I can't do a split uh, and that aspect I'm not flexible at all uh, but certainly we have some gymnasts their guards are very unique you know they're able to cross their legs in, in different areas uh, it's certainly not a requirement but in different styles of jiu-jitsu games particularly a guard uh, it can be an advantage to create a different style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any body type, non-flexible, heavy, um, out of shape, you're going to implement your own game. As a white belt, you're going to see what works for you. Do you like to be on top? Do you like to be on the bottom? Are you a guard passer? Are you a guard player? Um, so flexibility will hurt, will help you in certain techniques, but I, I'm, not, I'm not flexible at all. <laughs> um, I, just, I just remembered... Um, for uh, people that aren't familiar with jiu-jitsu, maybe just 
quickly describe what you mean by guard and having someone in your guard? So guard is ultimately the legs. If you think of a castle, it's the guys at the front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legs are what's protecting anybody from advancing to your upper body from the waist up. So guard being waist down, it's you utilizing your legs to either wrap them around your opponent's waist to have a closed guard or a butterfly guard inside their knees to elevate them or move them sideways. Uh, but guard is, you know, half guard, you know, full guard, closed guard, butterfly guard, spider guard, mm-hmm. different forms of guard, but it's ultimately all the legs from waist down. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, is jujitsu tr- traditionally taught um, and practiced with a gi on? It is. Um, you get your most technical experience out of the gi. People say, oh, I don't like the gi, I don't like the gi. We have no gi classes as well. The issue being when you first learn jiu-jitsu, if you're sweaty, you may be able to slip out of something. When you're in the gi, you have to technically learn. If it's a choke and somebody's using your gi or your uniform to choke you, if you technically learn how to defend that, now when you take that uniform off, you now know how to technically, at a much higher level, defend a choke. Mm-hmm. If you're, somebody's holding your arm and it's not slippery and they're going for an arm bar, if you technically learn how to defend that, take that gi off, defending is going to be much easier. Uh, so all you, the higher level of technique comes from the gi. Yeah, I know for a lot of people that um, don't really know jujitsu um, or kind of just looking from, at jujitsu from the outside, um, don't really understand why. A lot of it is being taught in the gi, um, uh, and just kind of go want to go right into the no gi classes because they think it's just like more practical. Like that's a, that's a term I hear a lot. It's just more practical. Why don't you just teach with with uh, with no gi? But um, I think what you what you said there makes sense about how learning in the gi just makes you more technically proficient. It makes you so. There's a, there's a very good saying. If the best gi fighter in the world takes the gi off and goes and does no gi matches, he may lose a couple inches of technique on a scale. If you take the best no gi fighter in the world and put the gi on him, he's going to lose probably 12 inches of mm-hmm. technique and details. Two, anybody learning, uh, wanting to learn jiu-jitsu from a higher level of self-defense, people wear t-shirts, sweatshirts, jackets, The gi is just a replica of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, I believe a lot of no-gi people are afraid of the gi. They don't like the grips as they first learn. They feel more aerodynamic or or more successful without the gi. Uh, So they prefer the no-gi. The technique comes in the gi. Mm -hmm. How long does it typically take someone to get a black belt in jiu-jitsu? Took me 15 years, but now and now, you know, there's a lot more structure to it. Uh, it can take about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And is that longer than other martial arts? Or? It's a lot longer. In karate, when I was teaching at the karate school, I saw people get the black belt in three years. Um, in jujitsu, it's a lot. You've got the white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt. And there's one, two, three, four degrees with every belt. Under IBJJ federational rules, you can't get a blue belt to the year that you're 16. So if a kid starts young, it's going to be a much longer journey. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody starts, you know, at the age of 16, then it's, you know, it could be ultimately about 10 years. If somebody comes in, they train two days a week, probably looking at longer. If somebody comes in and they're devoted, they're training you know, four plus days a week, then they may get it quicker. Mm -hmm. The more you do, the more proficient you'll get, the better you'll get at it, just like any other sport, golf, baseball, you know, anything you do. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. You got to do it, do something, ultimately 10,000 times to master it. Yeah, right. And there are all sorts of different, I guess, for lack of a better term, like types or applications of jujitsu too. Um, And what I mean by that, like, Jiu-Jitsu for competition, uh, Jiu-Jitsu specifically for self-defense, Jiu-Jitsu specifically for MMA, right? 
Correct. There's different styles. I'm gonna call it styles. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned very heavy controlling jujitsu. You know, shut down your opponent, bone crushing with bone crushing pressure. Um, that is very applicable for MMA. A student asked me the other day, oh, I was looking at YouTube and I was looking for drills that I could do. And she said, but the guy wasn't defending his face at all like you show us to do. And I said, he's a sport jiu-jitsu guy. He's not worried about getting punched. So he's just focused on his hands being down around his knees or his waist. Mm-hmm. Where we keep our hands up and we're prepared to block the face if in fact a strike comes. Or I tell people if somebody's going to choke you, you want to be able to defend. Um, so in that aspect, you know, the hand positioning was big for her. She was here for self-defense. She happens to be a, a doctor and she's gotten grabbed in the emergency room. Uh, so if she's learning a higher level of sport jujitsu or, you know, inversions and rolls and things of that nature, it's not practical for self-defense. Um, I feel the MMA jujitsu, good, heavy, control pressure is very applicable mm-hmm. with a self-defense. Right. Right. And that's, uh, and other schools, um, may emphasize more of the sport aspect, um, too, right? I know one of them. I used to train at one of them. <laughs> they, um, they do. And there's some schools that are very sport orientated to the point that they don't even work on the finishes. They work on getting points or advantages just to win the match. In competition, you have time limits. And if you can get a point or two points, you win. So there's schools that specialize just in those points to win the fight um, or win the match. They're not looking to submit. They're not looking for the dominance. They're just looking to edge out a win. Mm-hmm. And for people listening, how do jiu-jitsu tournament matches typically work? You ultimately... Um, Start on your feet, clap hands. First takedown is essentially, you know, two points. You're looking to pass the guard or get past to look to score more points. Ultimately, you know, my favorite is the submission only competitions. Uh, or I do the IBJJ, uh, F federational tournaments where, you know, you can win by points or look for points, but I'm always looking to submit or win. Yeah. Uh, win by submission. Um, so I've lost some on points. I've lost some on submissions. But it's a great way to challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a time limit. And ultimately, points will decide if there's no submission. And points are scored by different positions or sweeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you encourage your students to compete? I don't push them. I recommend... As for myself, it's a good personal challenge to see how I compare. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that wants to compete, I would tell them, absolutely, do it, try it, see how you compare. It's just a personal challenge. Mm-hmm. So I never want to push somebody to do something they don't want to do, but if they show interest, I support them 100%. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you go out, you win, and you learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but it's not something like you would ever push on someone to do. No. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people, including myself, think of jujitsu as almost like an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's addictive at all? And if so, why do you think it is? Absolutely. Um, for me, it's just a mind flush. You come in and you're just really getting away from the world. You can have a bad day come in and clap hands and sweat and it feels so good it's not repetitious you go to the gym one day's chest one day's legs jiu-jitsu is different every day every time you clap hands with somebody mm-hmm. you're getting a different energy a different feel a different challenge yeah and it really changes life it changes confidence it changes the way you look at people it's a close-knit sport so you develop a lot of personal close friendships um, and you can learn from everybody you train with so it's just never ending it's 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 a routine of coming to class but it can't be the same routine every day that gets bored mm-hmm. it's just a different twist every day technically and mentally it's really good yeah 
Um, it's like you kind of never know what kind of reward you're going to get from class, like the next class you go to almost, what new technique you're going to learn um, or what uh, or something new you might learn from a new role. Um, and so, sort of similar to surfing, I think, which is also described as kind of very addictive and kind of like that next wave you don't know if might be, uh, I guess, like the perfect wave or something like that. So um, I would definitely agree that it's um, certainly addictive for sure. It is unbelievable the feeling and the reward you get and you can set a goal. The goal may be today I'm not going to let Chase triangle me. <laughs> you know, t tomorrow the goal could be, okay, today I'm not going to get swept. Uh, you could set a different goal every single day and the reward behind it is just amazing. Yeah. Why do you think Jiu-Jitsu has gotten so much more popular over the last like 10 years or so? I think people have had the opportunity to discover what it really is. Um, at first, a lot of people couldn't even pronounce Jiu-Jitsu. Somebody asked me today, an older gentleman that's I've been training, he's like, hey, how do you spell Jiu-Jitsu? Um, so it's become more recognized. It's, you know, people have discovered what it is. It's not so hidden. Mm -hmm. And then when people talk about the benefits they get from it, people get excited about that, and then they want to experience it for themselves. So that's, people have become more educated. What is jujitsu? Right. Where before, I feel jujitsu was brought to the United States, but people looked at it as the bare knuckle cockfighting. That wasn't the foundation of jiu-jitsu. That was to prove that jiu-jitsu was so much superior, more superior than the other arts. Right. And people misconstrued that, the understanding of what is jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's also called the gentle art, right? It is. Mm. Boxing, you're getting punched. You're creating concussions. Your head's getting jarred. Kickboxing, you're getting kicked or punched. Uh, Jiu-jitsu, you're just rolling around, and if there's a submission, you just tap or say tap. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have the ability to understand or know how much of pressure is being applied to you by saying a give. If you get nervous, you feel like that's a lot of pressure, okay, I give up, tap. Uh, you know, you have the ability to push yourself more so than your opponent hitting you or striking you, uh, and they're dictating the amount of force and pressure they're putting on you. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what does your daily routine look like these days? My routine um, is ultimately I wake up uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I teach down at the police academy. Uh, the rest of the week, I'll have 9 a.m. classes in Exeter. The days that I'm in Exeter, those nights, I'm in Wyndham uh, teaching. And then the the Daytimes that I'm in Wyndham, I'm in Exeter teaching at night. Okay. Friday nights, I do competition class really just for myself uh, as I try to take Fridays off, but that means I take it off from, from teaching and then I get to come and train. <laughs> uh, Saturday and Sunday, I teach a kids class on Saturdays, uh, have wonderful conversations, you know, as I get to enjoy a kids class in the morning with their parents. And then um, I do open mat training. And if I'm, you know, tired, or beat up from the week of too much training after five, six days, then I'll do a lot of coaching. Mm -hmm. It just makes me feel good. Uh, Sunday, I come in and I'll do open mat training and coaching as well. It's just so rewarding. Yeah. What's, uh, what's kept you driven for uh, you know, all these years to, to keep competing at a high level while also teaching and running two schools? I don't want to be sitting inside of four walls as a personal goal there's a lot of schools that sit out there and they say, I'm the best. Oh, I don't want to compete. There's nobody in my division. Oh, that's not worth my time. I believe those are excuses. For me, I want to go out and challenge myself and see how do I do. Mm -hmm. I also want to do as good as I have some, you know, my students do. I have a lot of students that have done very well. You know, Nick Fury has done extremely well in competition and in MMA. Karis has done very well. She got ranked number two in no-gi jiu-jitsu uh, in 2019. Ty Ham, you know, as a young kid, has swept every local circuit jiu-jitsu competition. Mm -hmm. We've put him in the adult division at 15. Um, 
my goal is to be as good as my students. Yeah. Um, not be that guy that sat inside four walls and tried to toot a horn without proving it. Yeah. Um, two, I get an opportunity to go out there and compete and just learn. Um, and the reward I get from my students being like, wow, professor, it's good to see you compete is a reward in itself. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot the feeling watching my professors compete. Rather, they won or lost, the feeling that I got of, wow, those are the guys I want to be like. Um, it just drives me. Yeah, that's drives awesome. Me. Uh, I guess lastly, why should people listening to this podcast think about potentially giving jujitsu a try? What do you have to lose? There's a lot of people that say they think about it, think about it, think about it. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Find a school, go try a class. Hopefully they'll give it, you know, give you a class or so for free. Welcome them in, welcome you into their environment, and you can experience the life change that it can give you. Whether it's physical fitness, mental confidence, new friends, uh, you know, working out. Physical exercise. Uh, a lot of people may or may not know, and I share this with a lot of people, jiu-jitsu saved my life medically. Um, I got a flesh-eating bacteria that should have killed me, and my core, core tissue was so dense that the doctors said that the bacteria had trouble eating through it or penetrating it. Um, it's just so good healthy, wow. health-wise, mentally and physically. Mm. The attributes and the rewards it gives you is so much better um, than anything that I'm that I know. Wow, that's amazing. I di- I didn't know that. When, what, when was that? The flesh eating bacteria. That was about uh, about twelve years ago, mm-hmm. and I got a flesh eating bacteria, necrotizing fasciitis type A. And I had the second worst case in the country. And normally, you get a spot about as you know big as a half dollar on a limb. You lose the limb in twenty four hours. Wow. If a spot that big over a major organ, you normally die in 24 hours. And I was about 42 hours in, and the doctors were amazed. And they said that uh, my core muscle t- was just so dense that it literally, the bacteria had trouble eating through it. Um, and training jujitsu full-time put me in the best shape of my life. That, that's, uh, that's incredible. Um uh, what am I trying to say? Um, what like what were the the symptoms of it that like were, were you, that were you feeling? It was August. Uh, I woke up freezing cold in the middle of the night, freezing cold. Um, still to this day, when I get really bone chilly, it, it, it brings me back to that night. Mm-hmm. And I tried to turn off the fan and get as many blankets as I could to get warm, and I just couldn't get warm. And when I went to my doctor's the next day. You know, she thought maybe dehydration, she, you know, Triple E just came out. We really weren't sure what it was. It wasn't a, a worldly, you know, known thing. Um, went home, tried to drink a lot of fluids to help me. I was just getting sick, vomiting a lot. Went back to the doctors and they uh, shipped me up to Elliott Hospital in Manchester and uh, they discovered it with a CAT scan. Immediately got sent to Boston for, for emergency surgery. And um, yeah, I was, was supposed to be a six-month to one-year recovery time. I told the doctors, get me out of here. You, this hospital is killing me. <laughs> um, jiu-jitsu, did all, I did all my own physical um, PT, all my own uh, PT through jiu-jitsu. All the moves that I was teaching students, I had to reteach myself. And I just grabbed teammates and said, help me. And uh, it was still about six months to being 100% normal, um, but instead of being in the hospital for three months, I was in the hospital for two weeks, back on the mats, training, and starting my recovery. And uh, it was jujitsu that that gave me the strength to get through it and uh, get back to where I was, where I am today. That's great. Um, you know, I tell people when they see the scar, I tell them I got attacked by a shark. <laughs> Uh, do you know how you got it, the bacteria? They don't know. They didn't have time to look into it because mm-hmm. it was so severe that they had to just quickly get rid of it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, well, yeah, if there's ever a story that needs uh, that'll get people motivated to get, to try jujitsu, that's uh, 
that's one that's a great story um i think we can we can end this and wrap this up um kevin thanks again for coming on this is great it was a pleasure it was uh i love teaching jujitsu talking about jujitsu and sharing jujitsu and uh it's changed my life it's changed hundreds of my students lives um and uh I only want to pass that along to help improve other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll echo that too. Um, Jiu-Jitsu has changed my life uh, for sure. Certainly made me more confident. Um, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, whether it's the training um, or the competing. And yeah, I would def- definitely just echo that for sure. Um, where can people go if they want to find out more about Henzo Grace in New Hampshire? Uh, Henzo Gracie, New Hampshire dot org, R E N Z O, Gracie G R A C I E N H dot org, and the website's there, and you know we have links to the main academy down in Manhattan, New York, um, etc. Awesome, and you guys can also follow me on Instagram at Chase Rosa Four for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Um, thanks for everyone who's listening, and see you next time.